And I remember a conversation I had with my mom and I said to her, I don't know if I'll ever be a mother. I was getting to the point where I could say that out loud. It really trickled into other parts of our lives yeah. where we didn't feel particularly like ecstatic about anything. And that's uh, even including my own like running goals. That was Janelle Coop Yumeng and Melvin Yumeng. And this is episode 178 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn and I'm a road runner. And I'm Kim and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Our Couple of the Quarter series is meant to highlight the different aspects of what it means to be in a partnership when one or both people are runners. And do we ever have a power couple to feature today in Janelle Coop Yuming and Melvin Yuming? Melvin is the runner of their duo, but as you're about to hear, his six-year running journey has aligned very closely with the couple's fertility journey and what a wild ride it's been for them. Their story is filled with love, loss, grief, hope, setbacks, serendipity, more hope, more setbacks, and eventually an eight-pound, two-ounce miracle in the form of baby Jameson, who at four and a half months can be heard cooing in the background for most of this interview. Fertility can understandably be a sensitive topic, and we want to put that disclaimer on this episode. For many years, Janelle and Melvin kept their struggles private, but baby Jameson is a direct result of letting their guards down, and in that sense, they've found unexpected beauty in opening up and being vulnerable. This episode is on the longer side, and Kim had to duck away around the halfway mark, which is why you don't hear her in the second half. So without further delay, please enjoy our conversation with Melvin and Janelle. All right, Melvin and Janelle, our couple of the quarter, welcome to the show and happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, and hello there, Jameson. Good timing. <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, so do you, do you have any exciting plans today or this evening? This. <laughs> Probably trying to get this kiddo down. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, okay, Valentine's Day's really changed. <laughs> yeah, it's safe has. to say. <laughs> All right. Well, we've uh, we've got quite a story to dive into to today, but just backing up, one thing I've really learned after being in the running community for for so long at this point is that people have such interesting, amazing complex things that they do and and things going on in their lives outside of running outside of that little silo that I typically know them as and and that could not be any more true than with the two of you. Um, Melvin, I've gotten to know you a little bit through the Winnipeg running community as we've sort of helped each other train for different marathon goals of ours. And and of course, I knew of Janelle. Um, But really, I'm just meeting you for the first time today. So instead of me trying to introduce you to our audience, I thought it would be fun for you to introduce each other to our audience. So Maybe Mel, do you want to go first and introduce us to your lovely wife, Janelle? Yeah. So to my right here is uh, Janelle, Janelle Kupiumeng, Janelle, and my newest son, Jameson. Janelle is 37 years old, and she's a teacher in her 11th year. She's originally from southern Manitoba, small town, well, now no longer a small town, but uh, <laughs> called Niverville, Manitoba. <laughs> Uh, She studied human relations and psychology at Concordia University in Montreal before going to the University of Ottawa for her teaching degree. She uh, works as a learning support teacher at an elementary school in southern Manitoba, which happens to be in her homeschool division, but not in uh, her hometown of Niverville. 
and uh, started as a classroom teacher um, teaching grade one. And uh, as I said, she's the proud mother of our soon to be five month old baby boy, Jameson. What a great intro. Okay, that's a hard act yeah, to follow, Janelle, but I, I see that you're up for the challenge. Go for it. I'll try my best. <laughs> All right, so this is Mel. Um, he's a 40-year-old flight nurse and a marathon runner. Um, he grew up in Chambly, Quebec, which is just a town south of uh, Montreal, kind of like a suburb. He studied physiology and psychology at McGill University in Montreal, and then he also did his master's of nursing there at McGill. Um, he's worked almost exclusively in adult emergency um, in Montreal, in Ottawa, and in Winnipeg, uh, mostly following me around, unfortunately. Um, for, the, for the past eight years, he's also been a, a flight nurse for Stars Air Ambulance, and that's what he does today. Um, and he's been a runner for uh, about six years now, and he's the proud father to our little Jameson here. And little Jameson is so adorable. This is the. I wish you could see him right now. <laughs> Absolutely, a time where I wish we were recording video because he's just the cutest little thing and being so he good. Is. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like you guys both spent some time at McGill. Is that where you met? Can you tell us how you met? We did meet in Montreal, but I did not go to McGill. I went to Concordia. Oh, okay. I wish I would have. <laughs> so tell us how you met then. Uh, well, we actually met online i know that's something that's pretty common nowadays but back in the day we're going back now almost 16, 16 years. years ago yeah it was pretty okay. taboo that actually some of our family probably doesn't even know that so a surprise <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? yeah apps oh like gosh. uh tinder and such nature didn't exist it was standard create create your own profile see who's kind of around uh like in your area and who you have similar interests with and actually, I feel like the online portion of us dating was very inconsequential because like it was, 45 it was, minutes, <laughs> pretty much, because that essentially turned into a coffee date within the first hour. And, right. Um, yeah. Happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah. We figured out we lived about two blocks away from each other. So we met at a coffee shop there and we studied together, hung out and yeah really the rest is history. That's the way online dating is supposed to work. It's not supposed <laughs> to be texting for a year before you finally meet. Right, so, right. so I guess awesome. we did it right. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that the podcast isn't particularly sponsored by any you know, <laughs> app or, or ad service in particular, but the uh, the program that we use is Lava Life. I don't protocol. even know if it still exists. Yeah. Oh, so I think, yeah. I think we're interesting. Yeah. So I think we're safe to, yeah. uh, to disclose that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So if we understand correctly, so this is sort of met in 2008. It was the loss of your father, Janelle, that caused you to move back here, like from Quebec, you moved back to Winnipeg um, during his sort of final, final stages of life. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that story? And maybe then a few years after that, Melvin, you lost your father too, didn't you? And that was sort of the impetus for your um, health journey, your shared health journey. So, so maybe let's yeah. get into that part of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, we had been dating for about two years at the time when we got the news that my dad had been diagnosed with um, terminal cancer. And it was it was really important for me at the time to move back and, and care for him and spend time with him and be with my mom and my brother. And I'm so thankful still to this day that Mel came with me because we had, I mean, it was a relatively new relationship at that time. Um, we weren't engaged, we weren't married, and he did move 
across the country for me, which you'll see is a theme um, in our relationship. So I'm grateful. So um, <laughs> we did move to Manitoba at that time and, and spend time with my family. Um, uh, my dad did pass away in early 2011. And we stayed around a little bit just to, you know, spend time with my mom and my brother and, and settle back into, you know, new lives for all of us. But we did eventually move back to Montreal and and I finished my schooling and and um, did my teaching degree. And then we moved back to Manitoba. <laughs> where well, it, it's so funny. Manitoba, Winnipeg in particular, has a, a very strong pull. Like it sort of like <laughs> sucks you too. in. We've sort of heard that um, over and over again since we've moved here and, and felt that being sucked in feeling ourselves um, to this lovely, lovely place. So, um, so you're yeah, you moved here, you moved back to Montreal and then moved back here. Um, Melvin, I think it was around 2017 when your dad suddenly passed away. Um, maybe, maybe talk a little bit about that and then kind of the impact that it had on, on you two going forward. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Um, we tend to, um, come across these things in our lives and in our marriages, usually over the course of, uh, a long duration, but I think a lot of these things tended to happen early in our marriage. Uh, loss of a parent, loss of parents, uh, illness, um, all of these things kind of happen in a compressed time frame. Mm-hmm. We've been married now for the past 13 years, almost, yeah. almost 13 years. And uh, I feel like we've already lived a lifetime's worth of uh, life, events. Life, life events, life circumstances in that time. Um, yeah. With Janelle's father passing away, the the move to Manitoba was actually initially intended to be temporary. And the move back to Montreal was essentially for Janelle to, uh, you know, finish her school. Um, At that time, she was in her final final year of her degree at Concordia. She had uh, basically abandoned the final semester of her uh, degree in order to come back home. And um, my time in Manitoba was lovely, but, um, I, I never felt like we, we were intending to come back. Um, but that all changed in, uh, in 2013 when Janelle, uh, had the opportunity to come back to her homeschool division and, um, she, uh, was offered a, a teaching, uh, opportunity, uh, here in Southern Manitoba. And, um, I got, uh, a position, uh, at St. Boniface hospital in emergency where I have no work um, at the time that Janelle's father was sick. So thankfully I was mm-hmm. able to, uh, to keep those relationships and, uh, it was, a, an easy transition back in that sense with my father passing away, uh, suddenly, uh, in 2017, it unfortunately happened, um, in the early morning, uh, while we were here in Winnipeg and I happened to be on shift and, um, you know, kind of felt my phone buzzing in my uh, my pocket at five in the morning. It would have been six in the morning in Montreal. And it just kept buzzing over and over. And obviously being at work, I couldn't check my phone, but uh, I had to kind of step away and check my voicemail. And it was my mother uh, who had uh, shared with me that uh, a medical emergency was occurring. At that point, he had not yet uh, passed away. Uh, but uh, I essentially had to... Uh, raced back home to uh, our house in Winnipeg, uh, called Janelle and said, something's happening. We got to fly back to Montreal. Um, kind of played the broken telephone game. And uh, by the time Janelle had come 
back home from her commute. Uh, she was on her way to school. Um, I found out that my father had passed away. So we unfortunately don't know the official uh, cause of my father's death, but I can surmise that it, it was a sudden massive cardiac arrest. Um, and uh, I mean, fast forwarding to 2018, that kind of inspired uh, my you know, journey into the, into the running sphere. Uh, my father who had passed away in, uh, in May of 2017, you know, I knew that uh, the following year in 2018, I, that I wanted to go back and spend time with family and, uh, my cousin, uh, and I came up with the idea to honor his memory. And, uh, it happened to be, uh, the, uh, Ottawa race weekend that coincided with, uh, the anniversary of his death. So we just decided like, Hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we run the 10K just, just to kind of honor his memory. And uh, it's become a tradition ever since. Had you been running much at all up to this point? Or was this like your first 10K completion ever? It's funny that you mentioned that, Kim, uh, because I feel like my introduction to running is not uh, super uncommon in that... Um, basically used running as a means to an end. I'd, I'd never been a particularly athletic uh, person growing up. Uh, you know, I knew of running uh, just kind of in terms of, you know, use for warm-ups and, and kind of drills and things like that. I wasn't in, uh, I didn't participate in, in terms of sports or anything when I was growing up. And honestly, like most runners starting out, I didn't really like running. <laughs> Um, uh, I kind of knew it as a, as a, a bit of a punitive type of thing. Um, you know, I, I knew of running in terms of drills and, um, you know, in for fit baseline fitness tests, I was telling Carolyn the other day that I recall that high school mile that we all had to run and, if I recall my time correctly, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, you know, when I was 15 years old, I think that my high school mile was about 16 minutes. Yeah. Which, uh, same. <laughs> and it and it was, it was difficult. It was torturous outside of that in terms of running. Like I kind of used it as my quote unquote cardio, um, using the treadmill for, uh, the instances that I did kind of go back and forth to the gym and which occurred in various phases, but not uh, at any point consistently. Uh, and running outdoors was kind of pretty much out of the question. I, I mm -hmm. only exclusively ran indoors on a treadmill occasionally at the McGill track indoors, uh, mm -hmm. just to kind of get a bit of cardio in, but running in and of itself was not an activity that I particularly <laughs> considered <laughs> enjoyable nor did i consider myself uh you know as as being integral to my uh to my identity yeah was was the impetus to take it up and run ottawa the ottawa 10k in honor of your dad was it more about your dad or was it more about you not wanting to repeat history like with the cardiac like trying to take care of yourself or was it a little bit of both I would say it was a little bit of both. To be honest, I, I feel like it, it was just a kind of a wake up call to, mm -hmm. at that point, being in my mid thirties, um, realizing that the weight was not staying off, that I was um, not particularly living the most healthy life at that time. Shift work 
um, mm-hmm. I think is already uh, kind of puts you behind the eight ball in that sense. Um, yeah. My father wasn't particularly uh, an athletic individual himself. You know, if, if my cousin and I truly wanted to honor his memory, I'm sure we would have you know, planted a garden for him or something. But yeah. honestly, it just happened to work out serendipitously that uh, he passed away on the 24th. And and the following year, the 24th was Ottawa Race Weekend. You know, it's it's interesting how we tend to honor somebody's life by living <laughs> hard, yeah. right? We pick something hard, something really challenging uh, as a way to honor life. So um, let's bring Janelle into this at, at this point. So here, here you are, Melvin, you know, deciding that you want to do something hard. You want to be healthier. Where were you at in, in that journey of his, Janelle? Did he inspire you at all to, to, to change your lifestyle at all? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was going through something definitely in parallel at the time. And, and when I say I, it was definitely we were going through something in parallel at the same time, but we were actually starting our fertility journey at that time. Um, so, uh, you know, several years after getting married, we decided we wanted to start a family and as most people do, we tried the natural way first for quite some time and um, without any luck. So we started investigating as to why that was the cause. So for those years kind of leading up to the passing of Mel's dad, um, a big focus of ours was starting our family. So that was really top of mind for myself. And um, similarly, I was not the picture of health at the time. And um, there was quite a few kind of hormonal things going on that I wasn't aware of at the time. So um with the work of my physicians and myself, I started to make some lifestyle changes as well. But my goal was um, the fertility piece, which I know was Mel's as well. He just kind of had this this parallel um, um, thing going on. So it's kind of interesting in our story that a lot of um, our fertility journey aligns with Mel's running journey, like pretty exact to the date. So there's a lot of history that we kind of went through for about four years um, trying to conceive without any luck. Um, and we were lucky enough to be on a wait list to a fertility clinic. And we had actually got in uh, the month of Mel's dad's passing. So we had gotten into the mm-hmm. clinic, um, had our intake meeting, you know, feeling quite hopeful that this would be what would spark our family, start our family. And then we got the news of, of Mel's dad's passing. So we obviously put things on hold because, you know, losing a family member that suddenly um, my experience with losing my dad was quite different because we knew it was coming and we had time to say goodbye. So our experiences in losing our dad, that that's even different. But we put a pause to that, took time to be with Mel's family and, and support his mom, and then came back to our fertility journey afterwards. So we had the same goal of being healthier and being stronger and, and really living, like you said, and um, our goals for fertility definitely lined up, but mine wasn't so much in the running sphere. <laughs> right, right. Wasn't yeah. there some orange theory in there and some low carb living and you felt yeah. great and you lost weight and, and maybe talk a little bit about about that and, and kind of you were feeling the best ever when you got the diagnosis yes. of PCOS, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was around that time. Um, we were really focusing on our health and our, our fertility. And um, yeah, we had really gotten into the best shape of our lives. Um, I'd say, well, Mel, maybe <laughs> would skyrocket past that right now. But for me, it was the best <laughs> of my life um, and, and feeling quite good. But part of that was a diagnosis of PCOS and learning to manage that with 
you know, changes to mm-hmm. diet and some medication changes. And um, what is PCOS? I, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, so, I mean, part of the picture of our infertility was that diagnosis. It can make it quite quite challenging to get pregnant, not impossible, but challenging. Um, my PCOS is an insulin resistance, so I needed medication to support my body to, you know, use insulin properly and, and not produce too much. And, and anyway, so kind of learning about that and um, figuring out dietary changes that really worked for us um, was kind of that year after Mel's dad passed away. Yeah, I want to say that 2017 was a very pivotal year in, mm-hmm. in our fitness and health journeys. Um, that summer, uh, uh, Janelle and I went drove back to Montreal, uh, essentially to try to move my, my mother out of uh, the home that she was living uh, in with my father into an apartment. It was a very stressful period, would not change that time for the world because it gave us the opportunity to spend almost the whole summer with, uh, with my family. But looking back on those pictures, when we got back to Winnipeg, at this point, Janelle had already made some significant changes to her diet, but uh, I decided to go more so down the fitness route. And I remember almost obsessively perusing the uh, personal trainer sphere, <laughs> trying to see where locally uh, I, I would be able to find uh, a trainer that I could work with in order to whip myself back into shape, so to speak. And I did uh, adopt the same type of uh, like nutritional habits as Janelle at the same time, which helped. It's always easier when you do it together, right? That's right. Yeah. And, and um, throughout that fall, I kind of feel like the uh, decision to go with a personal trainer proved itself to not be the most financially sustainable. So that's kind of our foray into Orange Theory, where it was almost the, the best of both worlds. It was the ability to uh, work out in uh, a group setting to kind of almost get that uh, like one-on-one, but also kind of get the the energy of the group vibe. And mm. I think that's where I, I first immersed myself in the in the fitness space in, in, in Manitoba and in Winnipeg. And, you know, within a couple of months, I was just guns a-blazing. And, you know, I, I convinced Janelle to join. Mm-hmm. I'm, they have a very robust referral program, so I'm sure that that sold me. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I wanted Janelle to kind of participate with me. And uh, it was something that we both enjoyed together. It became our, our date nights and our mm-hmm. date days. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, we became known as that couple uh, that in their travels, they would travel to the various Orange Theories uh, <laughs> in their passing. So we would go to the one in Minneapolis and, you know, tag their social media and we'd go to the one in Fargo, we'd go to the one in Vegas and represent, you uh, know, our home studios in, here in Winnipeg. Um, and that was a very fun time. Yeah, it was. Um, for me, unfortunately, that time was pretty short-lived. Um because we were starting uh, fertility treatments and uh, HIIT training and fertility treatments don't cooperate very well. <laughs> so I, I kind of learned that, that um, I had to kind of take it easy and, and tone it down with the, the orange theory, which was, it was hard for me because it was a social piece and it was a, a bonding thing between Mel and myself. So um, I did miss that quite a lot, but um you know, we had, we had other goals where it just didn't align at the time. So yeah, so I had to take a pause from that. So, so here's Mel, you know, guns a blazing, like you said, going to Orange Theory, inviting you to come along. 
you know, I, I, I'm looking at some of your running statistics. It looks like you were really excelling as well as a runner. You know, Janelle, you mentioned you had to take a step back. How did that play out in your relationship? Like, were you comfortable with that? Or was there a little resistance, maybe a little resentment that you couldn't also participate in the same way as he did? No, absolutely. Um, There was a lot of resentment, I think, because Mm -hmm. at the same time, we're going through fertility treatments and we had a lot of uh, really hard moments in that. We did quite a few treatments. Um, We did uh, IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, um, four times. One of those times worked, but we had an early miscarriage. Um, So that was really, really tough. After four IUIs, we moved into IVF and Essentially, we we got three embryos from that round and we transferred all of those in turn, you know, over the months um, and we had two more miscarriages. So at this time in my life, I feel like my body is is failing me kind of over and over again, whereas Mel's kind of taking off with his. I feel like I wanted to support him and I went to the events, but really like I, I did have resentment. Like there was times where I'm like, do you really need to go? Like, could you just stay home? Like I have to stay home on the couch. Perhaps it was like, you know, after a transfer where I'm meant to lay low and keep it cool. And, and I feel like he's off and, and really living his best life. So that was challenging for, for me. And I'll be perfectly honest that resentment was a feeling that I had often. Um, and as we kind of go through the years, you'll see that my body fails me yes, yet again uh, with a diagnosis that comes up. So it was a lot of, I don't even know if it was resentment towards Mel, but a lot of frustra- uh, frustration towards myself as well, which honestly, I've had to work at and um, come to terms with myself. Yeah. Well, I don't think anybody could blame you. You know, Mm -hmm. I would probably feel exactly the same way. Um, So, so why don't you go there now? Tell us, you know, what came next for you in your, in your health journey and and fertility? Sure. So, I mean, it was, it was quite a few years of different sort of treatments that I, I just mentioned. Um, But all the while, I was also struggling with a lot of pain, with a lot of sciatic pain um, in both my legs. So really like a stabbing, shooting pain down the back of my glutes and to my legs and into my knees and heels. So this was something that had started in Orange Theory. And I thought it was, you know, I'm I'm working out harder than ever. And, you know, it's injury or it's it's part of, you know, getting into shape and and being fit. Um, But I just remember like being on the treadmill and just like constantly rubbing my glute because it was just shooting, shooting, shooting and just kind of coping with it and moving along. And um, a lot of the trainers there were really helpful to me and would offer like, maybe you can cycle, maybe you can try this, you know, we we tried things. Um, But I also went and saw my doctor and I said, you know, I have this constant pain in both my legs and it's all the time. and it wasn't just like a nagging ache. It was like shooting nerve pain. So it was, it pretty much took up my thoughts, you know, at all times. So um, went to my doctor, you know, went to chiropractors, physio, acupuncture, dry needling, massage, like anything you can think of to try to cope, um, you know, thinking that it was different things, bursitis in my hip. So I got a cortisone injection, right? Like I, I did all these things trying to cope with what we thought was injury or something like that. Um, until it it really got to a point where I remember we were in Minneapolis for spring break and we had gone to a store, um, and we were shopping around and I mean, I love shopping. So, (laughs) uh, we were shopping around and I told Mel, I have to go sit in the car. I can't, I can't shop. And like, I went into the car and I just sobbed. My pain was so bad that I couldn't even browse around in a store with Mel. 
on, on spring break, you know? So after that, we came home, kind of coped with it for a couple more months, begged my doctor for some imaging to see like, is there something we're missing? Is there a reason why I'm having this pain all the time? Um, so I, you know, was put on a wait list for an MRI, which it takes time. And, um, you know, to, to the naked eye, I'm in my early thirties and I'm healthier than I've ever been. And I look fit and honestly masked my pain quite well. I, I don't think many people would know I was suffering with chronic pain. Um, so I was on the wait list for quite some time until we went to a walk-in, um, and, uh, saw a doctor there and, there was one question she asked me, which honestly changed everything. And she said, do you have any numbness in your butt or your legs? And I was like, oh yeah, my butt cracks numb all the time. And um, I mean, I, I share this, it might seem like TMI, but I share this because it was really critical. Um, and she told me, you know, that's a medical emergency. And when I told Mel, he said the same thing. So I wish I would have told someone that piece earlier. Um, yeah. Right. How long had that been going on before oh, um, months. the doctor asked the right question? Right. Wow. Months, months for sure. Because um, it's and not I something you want to really tell somebody, right? No. And <laughs> I didn't hey, really think it was related. And, and it's funny because, um, and I've admitted this, that as healthcare workers, we don't tend to be uh, the most sympathetic when it comes to complaints of back pain, particularly in a younger population, we don't typically yeah. tend to ask questions that kind of go in that direction, mm-hmm. except in emergency mm-hmm. settings, which happens to be mm-hmm. my specialty. So uh, when when I found that out, I felt awful because I think that's a, one of the standard triage <laughs> questions that we it's ask. It's a red flag department. question. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Um, and I think we, we chalked it up funny, funny enough to a fall that you sustained on ice when we were here in 2011, when your father passed. Away. No, that's so we, true. We thought that this is probably just kind of remnants of when you fell in the garage. And yeah, like just, my tailbone was, you know, injured or something like that's that. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and adjusting and what have you. And yeah. 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 Well, Mel, I'm sure you've heard the phrase when you hear hoof beats, don't assume it's zebras, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what <laughs> I was always trained in school. Like don't assume it's the most rare, you know, unusual diagnosis. It's probably the fall, but it did yeah. end up turning out to be a quite unusual diagnosis. Yes. Yeah, it did. So after that question was asked, the, the doctor escalated my MRI to the very next day. So essentially she was like, we need to scan you immediately because there's, there's nerve damage here that that we need to figure out as to why um so I went for an MRI the next day um and I mean I was teaching at the time so I I left work I went for my MRI I came back you know I'm kind of joking around the lunch table as you do when you're nervous or feeling like you know waiting on results I'm like oh I hope it's not cancer I hope it's not this that you know and um I got the call that uh, you need to come in for a second MRI. So I had never had an MRI before. I figured I'd probably moved or, or something like that. So go in the next day for a second. And this time they wanted it with contrast. And I mean, now I know what all these cues mean. Uh, contrast means, you know, they're you looking. You know way too yes. much about the healthcare. <laughs> That's it. That's it. At the time I, I figured, oh, I moved. The image was blurry, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I went back for a second MRI and um, I was called at work that following day. And it happened to be a day that I was acting principal at our school. Our principal was away. So I was filling in for him and supporting the school in that way. And I got a call from the doctor to say, there's a tumor in your spinal column pressing on your 
spinal cord, which is causing you all your pain. And it does look like this certain type of tumor, which is can be cancerous. And she was saying all this on the phone while I'm meant to be, you know, in a professional setting. So that was really challenging getting that news, especially because I had lost my dad to cancer. I don't think I mentioned that. So, you know, the cancer word in our family is quite a scary one as it is for most people, right? Yeah. Yeah. This touches upon uh, yet another theme in our relationship when it comes to uh, all things emergency, but we basically both had to drop Mm -hmm. what we were doing and unsurprisingly to you too, I'm sure, um, Janelle informed me while I was on my way to an Orange Theory class and she called me and we said, okay, well, let's meet up uh, at your mom's house in Niverville and talk. Yeah. So that was kind of, um, kind of earth shattering news that we got. Um, but honestly having some answers did provide me a, re- a little bit of relief because there was a point in this journey of pain for two years where I really thought I, I, I was maybe making it up. Like I thought maybe this isn't legit. Maybe... I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, you start to question yourself like, and and I was at that point where I was like, I I just don't know what this is. I started questioning myself around my pain. Um, I think it's important to illustrate too, that this diagnosis came in June of 2019. And uh, there were important goals uh, on my own end. Yes. Yes. Uh, Tell us about about that. Where were you at with all of this, Mel? I mean, here you are. She mentioned she felt resentment watching you run <laughs> you're, going, you're still going to orange theory you're on the way to orange theory. <laughs> yeah you know, like we benefit from from hindsight in, in, in a certain extent because i think janelle's being quite hard on herself when she says that she she wasn't necessarily the most supportive partner because i i did not get that sense at all i felt that janelle was my biggest cheerleader when it came to my orange theory events and um you know, she volunteered for the races that i participated in i knew that she couldn't you know, run alongside me. But um, honestly, I like, I, I continued to feel the love for sure. Did you ever feel guilty, like at, at some level um, going out for your runs or going to class Orange Theory? Abs- absolutely. Uh, I did. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 it almost felt like another side of the same coin where I, I needed, I needed that hour, that one hour yeah. for myself. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 you know, I tried to uh, sign up for classes that were minimally disruptive to our home life that, you know, mm-hmm. even if I had to work a, a shift at seven in the morning, I would, I would be there at the five thirty class. I would, uh, you know, cut the workout short in order to make sure that at least I, I started, you know, I did, I did a portion of it and then, you know, yeah. get and to if, work sweaty, et cetera. If I can add like another layer to this is that we were going through fertility treatments, which requires a lot of yeah. injections. And I mean, I'm lucky enough to have a husband who's a nurse, so he did my injections. Um, I did eventually <laughs> learn how to poke myself, but that was really hard. But all the while he's also, you know, coming home early to make sure my injection is given at the right time because it's timed. It needs to be given at, you know, six 30 every mm-hmm. evening. So he's rushing around doing that too. So I think you need to give yourself credit there too, is that he did keep that as a huge priority is to be back, to give my injection, shower, run off to work, come home, morning injection, you know? So it's like he was balancing a lot at once. Um, yeah. And, and I honestly, yeah, I, I, I definitely felt guilty. I also felt compelled to try to not fall off the wagon, so to speak. Cause I knew myself in my previous habits that, you know, if I didn't stick to some sort of regimen that I would be 
probably uh, susceptible to stopping completely. So if that meant running at 4.30 in the morning, if that meant running at 10.30 at night, however it lined up with my shifts, I tried to make it work. Sometimes to my own detriment, because typically what you're doing is you're shorting yourself on sleep and rest. But, um, you know, in my, in my case, I felt like I could only be the best partner if, if, if I was able to incorporate these things into my day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I I almost tried to do like a mental negotiation with myself, telling myself, you know, it's only an hour, Uh, you know, I'll go to work sweaty, I'll go to work tired. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely, I felt guilty. And um, at the the time that Janelle was diagnosed with this tumor, I brought up June 2019. Yeah. um, You know, if you kind of go back to my own running timeline that was you know just over a year from when I ran my first um official running event and I'm sure you can appreciate that when uh you know I came back from Ottawa I I caught the running bug and um essentially caught the race bug and I signed up for every single (laughs) distance and I think it's it's not that uncommon to just feel amazing (laughs) after you run your first race. And and that first year is great because every distance is a a PR, is a personal record, is a personal best. Um, And, you know, I, I, in hindsight being 2020, I probably wouldn't recommend signing up for your first full marathon within 13 months of running your first ever running event. (laughs) But that's that's what what I did. And June 2019 (laughs) was... The Manitoba Marathon, yeah, which uh, happened to be within a week and a half about of a, yeah, about a week after my diagnosis was his his very first marathon. So, wow. like, you got diagnosed on the twelfth, yeah, the, it was the race 12th. was on the nineteenth, so it was one week later, and you had company coming in from out of town. So, yeah. this this could be seen as a bit of a conflict. <laughs> okay, so, how did you? How did the two of you handle? Um, just trying to make that decision together. I mean, to give Mel credit, like he asked me right away. He's like, do I cancel? Do I tell my friend not to come? Like, this is huge, you know? Um, And I said, no, the last thing we want to do is sit and dwell in this right now. Like having the distraction and having the excitement is exactly what we need. Um, And Mm. I mean, at that point, we didn't have a ton of answers. We knew I had a tumor in my spine. We knew that was causing my pain. But we hadn't yet met with a surgeon, so we didn't know, you know, timeline of surgery or the impact of surgery or, you know, kind of prognosis or staging of the cancer. We didn't know any of this yet. Um, so okay. it's kind of, yeah, it's, you're kind of in that limbo of, well, we know we have something, but we don't know exactly what and what the impact will be. So well, I told them, do it. Like, they're, the last thing you should do is cancel. Let's yeah. control what we can. Let's go. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> and do this. Yeah. yeah. So how did that marathon go for you, Mel? It went amazingly. And <laughs> I don't know if, if I keyed in on the, the strength that I got from Janelle and knowing that there was a very real possibility that with this diagnosis, there was a prognosis of her possibly not being able to walk mm-hmm. that... Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to be able to run. Yeah. I, I mm. felt everything lined up perfectly that day. It happened to be an amazing day weather-wise. And I've really only learned this now in the last few years that the Manitoba <laughs> Marathon can typically be a terrible race when it comes to weather. <laughs> and I've experienced that firsthand as well. <clears throat> but 
<clears throat> June 2019 happened to be an amazing day weather-wise and a little bit of overcast and a little bit of mist towards the end. But um, I ran my first full marathon in a time of 345.09. It's amazing. Completely green, completely yeah. poorly fueled, just <laughs> running on guts and inspiration. And I recall, uh, you know, hitting hitting Harrow kind of in the last uh, 5K stretch of the race and, you know, just starting to tear up, t talking to my dad in my head and looking up at the sky and just being proud of myself, being proud of Janelle, being proud of my dad. Um, that was that was a great day. And, and seeing the pride in my friend who one of my best friends who, who, who flew in from Ottawa to, to run this race with me, not alongside me, mm -hmm. but we kept ourselves accountable throughout that uh, training block. And, um, mm -hmm. um, you know, funny story about that was, that was kind of my foray into, uh, learning, uh, kilometer pacing because <laughs> people in Ottawa mm -hmm. know kilometer pacing and everyone here in Manitoba runs mile pacing. Yes. Um, yeah. But he was proud of me and he, he just, he went around, you know, he, had my his arm around me and he was like he's only been running for one year he's only mm -hmm. been running for one year <laughs> and uh yeah. that was a great day and um i mean talk about uh you know funny stories or funny how worlds collide my race photo happens to have uh <laughs> my, my race finish photo which i have proudly framed in 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 our basement that you know janelle has uh, made for me as a as a gift happens to have Ming Dizhou in it in my in my race line finish photo with my official time and it's it's funny enough that you know Ming Ming and Bo were a couple of a quarter for um mm -hmm. Carolyn and Kim uh, yes. previously and and I consider her and Bo such yeah. good friends and just so big in the running community and it's just funny how these worlds come together. <laughs> meanwhile, I, I meanwhile for the longest the time, time I, I right. didn't know her and I thought that she ruined my picture. To be <laughs> now we love it. Sorry, right. Mindy. Right. Now yeah. you're like, I was legit. I'm yes. with Mindy. That's right. Oh, that's yeah, right. really. Right. That's oh funny. my gosh, that's so funny. But you know what? I'm I'm just I need to pause on this point of like how conflicted you must have felt like you said it um you know Janelle could lose the the ability of her legs in this you know if there's a surgery or whatever and I could run so I should run right because I can and I'm grateful to be able to and at the same time like in the midst of the all of this uncertainty it also must have felt like ah like really you're sure you want me to go do this thing for for me when your body is you know, quote, Breaking failing down. you, yeah. right? And, and like, honestly, can you, can you talk to that? I don't even know what the question is, but I just must have been like, we, we live in a world of duality, right? Like yeah. absolutely. there are, there can be two opposing things true at the same time always. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and how did you kind of work through that? I guess. It's, it's so tough to put myself back in that space. And I think we've alluded to this in our previous discussions that I almost forget that these things even happen sometimes. <laughs> so now to put myself yeah. in the emotional headspace, uh, yeah. uh, you know, of 2019, knowing where I've come, how far I've come in, in terms of my own running, difficult, 
because I felt mm-hmm. I felt guilty for sure. I it's, was I was willing to scrap the whole project yeah, there, you were. but um, you it's, know, but at the same funny. time, you gave him permission. Yeah, know, right. It's funny like, because, um, like I mentioned earlier with the with the orange theory stuff, I definitely had feelings around that. I definitely did, but for this race, I really didn't. I did not at any point feel like he should cancel or not do it or go down in his, you know, go down to a 10 K. I know you had offered that. Maybe I should go down, mm-hmm. do something shorter. And it's funny because in this moment, I, I, I didn't feel any of that resentment. I didn't feel like you need to do this for me and to be along my side. I just wanted to be there for you. Like I went and watched, um, you know, so my family members came and watched, we have photos celebrating Mel. Like it was mm-hmm. such a fun day and I don't have any of those feelings looking back on that day. So it was That's kind awesome. of like, yeah, it, it, it's a really it's beautiful memory. Yeah. I wonder though, if it's like, because the running was never your thing, like orange theory, yes. there may have been more feelings oh, there. Cause that was something yeah. you shared together where running yeah. was just always his, you know, maybe. Yep. It, it, no, I think you're onto something there. I, I could also surmise that this was possibly a one in a lifetime opportunity where, yeah. you know, I, I train these months leading up to this one big event and we were forewarned of the possibility that life could significantly change. Mm-hmm. And that, that might include you being in a wheelchair, yeah. mm-hmm. you being un- unable to walk. Mm-hmm. That might've been my last one and only shot yeah. uh, to run a marathon in the foreseeable future. So it, yeah, in, in that sense, I almost felt like, you know, maybe I, this is it. Like I have to capitalize on this, on this time. But yeah. Well, I'm, you know, when, I'm when difficult. <laughs> No, that's, that's really interesting you say that because when we're faced with challenges, right, of any kind, big or small, we can use them as excuses or we can mm-hmm. use them as reasons, right? And I really see that you both, you know, approach this, this event, <laughs> this one mm-hmm. marathon. There were more after, gratefully, but yeah. this one, you you made it your reason, you know, all of the challenges, the the losses of your family members, the you know, the fertility, the cancer diagnosis, the future was unknown. So let's use this as a reason to capitalize on it, like you said, mm-hmm. and to experience um, life. Mm-hmm. So, wow. So you had this great marathon. I mean, we know there's still so much more to your story. <laughs> so yes. Where do we go next? Yeah. What happened yeah. after this? Uh, was there was there a surgery scheduled eventually when you did see the specialist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after the, the marathon, then um, actually really shortly after that, at the end of June, I had my first meeting with a neurosurgeon um, who uh, kind of went over what my tumor was, what it was um, going to take to remove it, if it was possible to remove it, you know, the outcome possibilities and all that. And I think it was at that moment where it really hit us that this is incredibly serious because before that, we're just kind of like, okay, um, we're going to do the surgery. It's going to be fine. And, and we'll just move on with life. And it was in that meeting where he said, you know, you have a 25% chance of being in a wheelchair after this. And that, those are huge stats when it comes to the medical community, as you guys would know. Like, typically, we're looking at the point something or maybe mm-hmm. 1%. Mm-hmm. So 25% was huge. Um, and I just remember us leaving that that meeting with the surgeon and really feeling like our lives could change immensely um, in the next month because I had my surgery mm-hmm. scheduled for the end of July. So, um, you know, sharing that news with our family. Um, my mom sent us on a trip 
she said, go enjoy your time. <laughs> yeah, we went to Vegas again. You know, we just kind of use the time to recover um, you from your marathon and just kind of reconnect and prepare for this upcoming surgery, um, which was scheduled in, in July of that year. So, I mean, now, uh, how many years out am I? Almost almost five, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can say that the surgery went incredibly well. Um, my my outcome was better than even the surgeon um, uh, kind of predicted. Um, so my tumor was really low in my spinal cord to where all the nerves um, kind of splay out individually, right? So you have a beautiful long cord and then they all kind of divide mm-hmm. into individual nerves. And my tumor sat right there. So my surgeon described it as taking a piece of hair, a piece of gum, sorry, out of someone's hair without breaking a single hair. Because breaking a single hair could mean that I, I can't walk, I can't move one of my legs, I can't um, use my bladder or my bowels. It meant all those big, significant things. So he was incredible. The surgery was eight hours. I mean, I was out having a great sleep for all of it. So probably was easiest on me during the surgery where my family was, you know, waiting um, to get the results. So Mel was surrounded. <laughs> Mel was surrounded by family and friends at that time. So um, yeah, the outcome of the surgery was, was great. I walked the very next day. I did stairs the very next day, which I thought wow. was insane. But as you know, physiotherapists do not give you a break and we do stairs no, immediately. No. That's right. <laughs> so we did stairs immediately. Thank your physiotherapist for all the torture. <laughs> yes. You know what? It pays off. Um, so the outcome was really great. Um, I, I did have a lot of, of residual pain. Um, Mm -hmm. which I I still cope with to this day, but really in the grand scheme of things, I can cope with that um, if I can move, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously this put your fertility journey on another hold, right? And so when did you kind of get back to being at least even in the headspace of thinking, okay, what are we doing yeah. here with the, with the fertility? Or even stuff? physically feeling capable of, yeah. of yeah. not necessarily bearing a child, but caring for a child. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, exactly. I would say like prior to the surgery, I had these kind of ideas that I would be back at work in six months and, you know, we'd be back to the fertility journey in, in that time frame. And, and after surgery, I mean, recovering from spinal surgery is a huge undertaking. Um, and the pain after was actually worse than the pain before for about almost a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because my nerves had just been through a very traumatic event. Um, and, uh, I had a lot of numbness in my legs that I know I had to wait for, you know, this to kind of come back and only time can really have, um, nerves heal if they do at all. Um, so the journey was about a year of healing, um, to a point where I could even think about getting back into fertility treatments or even think about going back I to think, work. I think part of it too was that with the removal of the tumor, we had some restored hope that perhaps we would be able to conceive naturally. Yes. Okay. That, yeah. Right. You yeah. know, with the removal of this foreign object with this, you know, invasive tumor. And really the tumor that was, what yeah. was, was causing our woes to begin with. Yeah. The tumor okay. was right yeah. at the le- level that innervates, you know, my pelvis too. So right. we, we yeah. thought like, oh, maybe this is, this is what was causing um, our unexplained infertility, which I, I mm. mentioned is the most frustrating diagnosis in the world, but um, right. yeah. <laughs> so, but you it was did in, get pregnant on your own, yeah, right? Yeah. It was in um, 2020. Yeah. So 
kind of as the pandemic was taking off, um, we found out in May that we were pregnant on our own. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a zillion pregnancy tests at home as anyone going through fertility treatments knows that we do. Um, and I had done one and, and sure enough, it was positive. Um, so we were over the moon and it was, it was funny. We had a lot of things kind of going at once at this time. Um, we had also started work with adoption options, um, kind of pursuing that avenue. So, um, we had that going, we found out we were kind of pregnant on our own recovering from surgery. Um, and it was on mother's day that year, actually, that I, I started miscarrying again. So, um, that was my fourth miscarriage in about three years. I I can talk about this all now quite level-headed, but, um, I do kind of want to just put a disclaimer out there for anyone who is or has gone through this stuff. It's incredibly hard and emotional and I can be level right now, but at the time, like it's, it's devastating. And, um, well, you know, sorry to interrupt, but it's just reminded me of something Melvin said earlier when I asked him to reflect on his emotions at mm -hmm. the time of running the marathon. And it's like, I can't really get in the headspace of my emotions at that time. And I feel like part of that is a survival yes. instinct. Yeah, what are definitely. your thoughts with that? Like, it's it's hard to talk about this stuff. And when you were going through it, I'm sure you wouldn't come on a podcast like this. You weren't no. ready to process it in that way yet. And now you are. So I, I totally hear and get that this is a sensitive topic. We'll put a disclaimer yeah. in, the, yeah. in the intro about that. But yeah. you've obviously come to a place where you can really talk about this very, very level headed, but it must, but yeah. it's just such a roller coaster of a story as I'm hearing oh. it all at one hour. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, talking about it at the time would, would be out of the question for me. I couldn't cope with that at the time, but now years later, um, and I've done a lot of work, you know, with a counselor and, and yeah, just kind of processing, oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Processing those feelings and, um, just the journey of infertility and, and how hard it is on, on all partners. So yeah, we found out that we were miscarrying again. And because of my, my history, I had had three miscarriages prior. Um, I kind of knew what to expect in terms of, um, how my body would respond, but this time was different because, um, and again, this might be a lot of information, but I feel like it's important to share because if anyone's going through this, it's kind of yeah. a cue. Um, but the the bleeding was really excessive um, and the pain was really excessive and um, it wasn't stopping. And, and I had been through this and I knew that there was, you know, several weeks of kind of your body re recovering after a miscarriage. But this was going on for quite some time. And and into June, I was still, you know, suffering quite a lot. And mm -hmm. um so I went into emergency um, and that's when we had learned that the pregnancy was actually at topic and it had burst one of my tubes. Um, and that was kind of the explanation for the excess bleeding. And, and also to kind of remember at the time I was under, I was on quite um, serious painkillers because I had had spinal surgery. So um, my pain was dulled with those uh, painkillers. So I didn't have the cues that this was, exceptionally more painful than usual. Um, so I didn't have the cues that maybe something's different this time. Um, mm -hmm. so I probably went in, you know, I should have gone in, in earlier, but I didn't, I didn't know. Um, no. so yeah, so went into emergency, um, it did uh, ultrasound found out that it was an ectopic pregnancy. Um, and I needed to have surgery. Um, there was a chance that I would lose both the tube and the ovary on that side. And, 
and we still hadn't started our family. So that was really devastating knowing that what has been so hard for us already was about to get harder. Um, and our chances were going to be more limited. So, um, I would say, and, and Mel and I have talked about that, that surgery was harder on me than my spinal surgery for sure. And that surgery was, yeah, I don't know. It was maybe an hour, two hours. It was laparoscopic, but the emotional kind of the hormone dump afterwards, um, Mm -hmm. was so impactful. Uh It was, it was definitely a harder surgery to, uh, recover from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's, Mm -hmm. there are many layers of this particular time point, uh, Carolyn, in, in that when Janelle was miscarrying, we, we'd alluded to the fact that we'd started the process of adoption options. Um, we were trying to investigate, investigate kind of parallel um, methods of trying to start our family. Yeah. Uh, at the time, during the pandemic, um, adoption options had put on... Um, a mandatory educational session that typically takes place in person. Uh, but it being in the heart of uh, the COVID pandemic, we were conducting this, uh, this session virtually on Zoom um, with strangers. And Janelle was essentially bleeding there on mm-hmm. the couch next to me, arriving in pain. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> during this time where we we're trying to be positive, you know, yeah. keep a happy face, um, you know, participate in these breakout sessions and really get into the nitty gritty of our whys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. All the while knowing that something was wrong and, you know, it colored by the fact that it was Mother's Day and um, that we were also missing a very important family event as well. Where Yeah, it was my, my grandma's um, 80th birthday and we kind of explained <clears throat> to her that we would have to miss the party because we had this virtual session to be at. Um, so just a lot of things, yeah, like Mel said, layered on top of this. Um, and I think that's also what led into the recovery of this being so challenging because there was so much heartbreak and so much disappointment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and this time of another. the year seems to be yeah. not a great time if I'm yeah. tracking the, the previous Mays and Junes. Yes. May, May tends to be a, a particularly um, bad challenging month, month. for yep. us. Yeah, challenging yeah. month is, is a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, on on top of that, um, you know, with with pandemic restrictions, Janelle was fortunate enough to um, be seen in the department that I happened to work at at the time. Yeah. I was actually scheduled for a shift, and uh, I kind of knew that later that night I wouldn't be able to work that night shift yeah. because Janelle was having surgery. Yeah, she, Janelle mm-hmm. was a patient, and she was uh, you know diagnosed with this ruptured ectopic, and she needed to go in for surgery as an E1, which essentially means a, an emergent surgery yeah. right away. Okay. Um, and just for people listening, ectopic is when it, the, it implants in the fallopian tube rather than the uterus, right? Yeah, that's correct. correct. That was in my an, case. Yeah. And it becomes an emergency when yeah. um, it ruptures. Yes. Which my, mine yeah. had. Yeah. Again, right. uh, you know, to add another layer of things in terms of guilt and, um, you know, kind of missing the boat here as an emergency provider, <laughs> unexplained um, unexplained you know left left, yeah. left lower quadrant pain in a in a uh childbearing female is an ectopic uh pregnancy yeah. until proven otherwise so yeah. i felt terrible well but <laughs> to be fair to mel like i said before i was taking pretty significant pain medication so i wasn't complaining of of pain to him yeah. i mean there was there was some pain as you would expect with miscarriage but it wasn't 
you know, exceptional or right. at least my body wasn't feeling it as exceptional because of the medication yeah. I was taking. So yeah. to be fair to yourself too. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, as uh, we wear many hats, like literally and figuratively, in this case, I was the, I was wearing the husband hat more so than the, the healthcare hat. And I was just trying to be as supportive as possible and, and not wanting probably not even wanting my mind to go there, but yeah. there, there was, you know, within that couple of weeks, uh, maybe a little bit of a suspicion that something was a little bit more serious, but I didn't know it was this bad. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah. So that was another, another surgery, another recovery to go through. Um, and at that time, like we had been trying to conceive for about six years. Yeah. About six years at the time with um, a lot of, uh, heartbreak, a lot of loss in that time. Um, and I, we just needed a break. We just needed a break, <laughs> um, from anything Fair. fertility. Yeah. Anything fertility related, like no more surgeries, no more procedures. Let's just, you know, take some time to recover. Um, so that's what we did. We took about a year off from anything. Um, at that time. And in the summer of 2021, so the following year, um, we decided to do one more round of IVF. Uh, so um, this round, uh, we got two embryos. I mentioned the previous one, we had had three. This one, we had two. Um, these ones we genetically tested and one of them came back perfectly normal. The other was inconclusive, which just simply means they didn't have enough um, genetic material to test. So we were feeling quite hopeful that we have, you know, this one strong, healthy embryo. We have another that could be just as strong and healthy. Um, and really like, um, and I won't get into all the medical of it, but our doctor at the clinic threw absolutely everything at me to try to make this round work for us. So I was on steroids, antibiotics. Mm -hmm. I was doing interlipid infusions. I was doing acupuncture. I was doing anything you could kind of think of to make this transfer work. Um and we transferred in August of 2021. And again, the transfer was unsuccessful. They didn't even implant at all. So um, we were now out of embryos. We were out of money. <laughs> um, this kind of treatment is very expensive. We were lucky to have some family help to to go through all this. But at this point, we were kind of out of, out of options in terms of continuing with our fertility um, journey at the moment. We didn't really know what we were going to do next. Um, we had talked about, okay, do we go to a different clinic, see if there may be a different protocol that might work for us? Mm -hmm. Or do we go back to the adoption um, route that we had started? Um, mm -hmm. But I think at that point, at least from probably myself more than Mel, I was just emotionally and menta mentally done. We just kind of put it on the back burner, really. We certainly didn't want to close the door to adoption. To anything, yeah. You know, a lot of couples uh, try to... Uh, go about navigate that system uh, in conjunction with trying to uh, continue assisted methods. But the, the types of people that we are, and that's not to disparage anyone else's journeys at all, but we kind of felt like we had to exercise all options in the one. Mm -hmm. Focus uh, on one thing at a yeah. time. Yeah. 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 And go right. all in. Because we'll... adoption is, is a very involved process in and of itself. And uh, yeah, we right. wanted to make sure that we put all of our energy into that if that was the route that we were going to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we were just kind of taking pause and, and really figuring out where we were going to put our energy, our finances, everything that's involved in, in any route. But as, as you can tell, we were open to anything. And mm -hmm. that's really where our story mm -hmm. gets interesting because 
anything happened. Yeah. 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 Well, just before we get to like the kind of the climax of this (laughs) story, um, at any point in this time, did you lose hope? Because it sounds like till everything I heard prior to this particular one, like this summer of 2021, that round of IVF and it didn't work. Like that sounds like a bit of a, a rock bottom moment like did you lose hope in that because it doesn't sound like you ever did prior to that right um you know for myself I think I don't think that we ever lost hope because it was always on the table we always talked about it even if we took months off of any sort of treatment it was something that we talked about often um so it's not that we closed the door and now we're done it was never that but I think um And I remember a conversation I had with my mom and I said to her, I don't know if I'll ever be a mother. Like I, I'm, I was getting to the point where I could say that out loud. That was a really hard thing for me to say out loud because it, it -hmm. felt like it gave it some truth. And I, uh, it was, it was very painful, but at the same time I had to come to the realization that that might be our reality. So I don't think it was a sense of losing hope. It was just kind of being realistic in the moment of, what might happen for us or what might not happen for us. I don't know. What mm-hmm. about for you? Uh, the funny thing is that in our relationship, I'm typically seen as, as the, the patient one. And I, I feel like, you know, over the course of a, a better part of a decade, it got to a point where, you know, I, this just became the new reality. Like, you know, even if, if we were somewhat successful in a, in a transfer or we had, gotten pregnant we didn't give ourselves permission to feel excited yeah it it really trickled into other parts of our lives where we didn't feel I don't want to speak for you but I you know I I didn't feel particularly like ecstatic about anything and that's that even including my own like running goals it was kind of just like you know it in terms of running it was it was more of a like this is something that I can do and I I have it like I can see the direct result of it like I can see yeah. It's, it, not necessarily in a controlling type of way, but like, you know, I was very much, you know, of the mindset growing up that like, you know, A plus B equals C. Right, or, right. You know, that yeah. if you follow a certain trajectory that you put enough work in that something will happen. And, and um, yeah, you know, every everything in in our relationship kind of lined up very practically. Mm-hmm. Like when, yeah. when we were trying to discuss like, where do we even start? Do we start in 2015? Mm-hmm. Do we start in 2011? Do we start in 2008? Yeah. You know, 2015 yeah. was when we bought our house. And that's when we said that we, you know, tried to start our family yeah. because we bought this house with the intention of filling it with, with kids mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Uh, we, we always try to line our ducks up in a row. And, and it just at this point in 2021, I don't know if that was specifically the time where, like, you know, my feeling of I'm, I'm not going to be a father um, started to, to enter into the consciousness. But mm-hmm. um, I feel like I was already starting to feel that. Like, yeah. I was, yeah. yeah. And, and <clears throat> kind of what I alluded to before in, in terms of like us being able to talk about this now, there was a long time where we didn't talk about this with anyone. We didn't even share with yeah. our families that we were struggling with fertility for a long time. And that was, it was really hard for me to open that door, to have that conversation. It felt very raw and very open, but as time went on and it's, it's a lesson that I learned 
as time went on and we opened up to more people, it just, it spread the weight onto more shoulders, if that makes sense. Yeah, and we had, right. We had people caring for us and yeah. carrying this with us. And, um, it's one thing that I wanted to mention here is that, and it's so personal, but when, and if you're ready to share, if you're going through something similar to how, uh, what we have, if, and when, when you're ready to share, the outcome of sharing can be incredible. And you'll hear in the next part of our story that had we not mm-hmm. shared with people, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have our son. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think coming to terms with what this meant for us, looking at all options, whether it means we're parents or not, and being able to have that conversation with people made a huge change in our life. So it would be something mm-hmm. I would encourage people is, is kind of really assess for yourself when and if you're able to share, because for me, for the longest time, yeah. I wasn't able. So it's very easy oh, to stay yeah. on this side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to make I, I understand all both sides very yeah. well of that, right? Like yes. I totally understand why you wouldn't have wanted to. And I said this to you to yesterday. It's like, you know, you go for a run with someone. It's like, oh, like trying to get to know them. Like, oh, do you have any kids? It's like, well, how much time do you have? Yes. <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Sharing means like telling the story, like to to whatever degree that person's willing to go deep with you. Like mm-hmm. that that could be a lot of output for you. So I could Absolutely. understand yes. why you might have chosen not to share. But in in twenty January of twenty twenty two, you got the most amazing out of the blue. Facebook message that changed everything. And it was a direct result of sharing. Um, Why don't you tell us that story? So that was a a cold email, (laughs) sorry, a cold Facebook message that I received at work on a, I believe it was a Sunday afternoon in January. Um, And um, it was a lovely young woman named (laughs) Sam who messaged me and said, um, Hey, I know this might sound random and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but, um, a good friend of mine who happens to be a friend of yours and a colleague of yours shared, uh, your wife and your story, your wife's and your, your story with, with us. And my husband Tyson and I happen to have seven, um, embryos that are essentially left over from our, um, uh, family process. Uh, they had to go through their own IVF journey as well. And um, she very sensitively even remarked that, you know, perhaps Janelle and I hadn't even thought about this as an option for ourselves, nor had we considered. Had you? Uh, you know what? We were open to anything and everything, but not this particular thing per se. Um, and we'd definitely not done any research around, you know, embryo donation or if that was something that we would want to do so and this is something where because we kept it very close to the vest it was a very difficult system to navigate I think even when you're actually Mm -hmm. outwardly looking for answers trying to navigate either a surrogacy program or Mm -hmm. an embryo donation program Mm -hmm. or adoption program as it's called in the U.S. It's challenging. It is challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, this happened to almost fall into our lap. And, <laughs> and that was basically just because of, um, for some reason, I, you know, had probably a, a, you know, a moment of weakness where I felt particularly emotional, um, you know, around this colleague and just kind of shared our story and um, just 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I kind of have a uh, mm. benefit from a, a job where there, there happens to be some high stakes, you know, you have to be on type of situations and, you know, juxtaposed with some time where you can you know, get to know one another and, yeah. and, and chat. And this was, this was a chat. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially Mel screenshots this conversation or this, this uh, Facebook message and sends it to me and I'm at home on the couch. And probably I said, we need to talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably the night before going to school or something. And, yeah. and he's like, oh, we're going to need to talk about this. And I read it. And I just remember like, like full body chills and just kind of thinking, oh my goodness, is, is this going to be what starts our family? Like, the, it, I just, I remember you asked about the hope. I just remember like the hope in me just kind of exploded. And I was like, oh my goodness, we might so have So you got a, you got a full body hell yes? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. I'm, I okay. have chose full body right now, actually thinking about it. So okay. it was, yeah, it was incredible. And so we had that message. Mel came home, we talked about it. Um, and we, you know, proceeded to set up, I, I joke that it was like the most high stakes um, blind date of our life. <laughs> and we were going to meet, we were yes. going to meet uh, uh, Sam. And just to... Um, oh, wait, what was that dating app you guys met through? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's- <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. We owe the internet a lot, huh? <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Um, yeah, so essentially, um, and we've asked Sam and Tyson, and there, there is another couple involved. We've asked all of them if they're comfortable with us sharing this. Um, and they, I mean, they have been such role models for us because they are open books, like just wide open. So we've learned a lot from them in terms of sharing and the, the positive benefit that it can have, but, um, they have given us permission to share. But, um, so essentially, uh, when Sam reached out, she did share a little bit of her story. Um, essentially in a nutshell, um, she had ovarian cancer as a young woman when she was 18 and she lost Mm -hmm. her ovaries. So her and her husband knew that they would have to build their family in a different way as well. Um, and, you know, they went through their own journey, but they they landed on ha- actually having an egg donor. So that's where another couple comes into the picture. Um, uh, their egg donor's name is Kaylee and her, her husband is Eric. Um, so essentially, Sam and Kaylee wanted to meet us. So yeah. we set up a, a blind date at Starbucks. And you got to remember, we're like mid-pandemic still. So like we entered with our masks on. We couldn't see each other's faces. And at this time, it was like, if you held a drink, you were allowed to have your mask down. So yeah, we all got drinks. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even know what one another looked like no. until, until that point. Yeah. So we all got drinks and, and pulled our masks down and introduced ourselves. And, and we kind of had, you know, just like a coffee date and and they shared their story and we shared ours. And, and honestly, we hit it off like right away and, and we were joking and having a great time. And and like, I don't know, my heart was beating a mile a minute. <laughs> and I say that it worked out just because we happened to suggest this date and <clears throat> both um, Sam and Kaylee being from rural Manitoba, uh, Sam happened to be in the city doing something like going to Ikea or Costco something, or what yeah. have you. Yeah. And Kaylee happened to bring her kids to Sky Zone, Kaylee living in um, Swan Swan Lake. So in Southwestern Manitoba. So they just happened to be there yeah. that same weekend in the oh city. We lived in the city at the time and husbands were both away. Um, Sam's husband is in the, in the military um, and he happened to be uh, on an assignment at the time. Yeah. Um, so it just, 
Yeah, it, it, it happened to be the moms and, and me. So. <laughs> the moms and him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, you yeah. Feel, did you feel like you were being like interrogated or, <laughs> no. or like, how no. did it feel? It was, it was hard to get a sense of what the purpose was because I think uh, it wasn't specified as being like, okay, we're, we're vetting you. Um, yeah, it didn't have the feeling of interrogation at all. No. Like they're, they're both so, so friendly. Um, and honestly they put us at ease immediately, but yeah, we were kind of like, okay, is this like an interview or, or to see if they like us. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and you do have, like, I had some nerves around that and, and my own history, like having cancer, I always thought that would be kind of a ding against me. Like, well, who would want to donate to us knowing that I have this history, but I mean, Sam had her own history and was completely understanding and, and, and knew what that was all about. So we connected on that as well. So it honestly, within minutes, it felt so comfortable. Um, I, honestly, we can say today that they are our friends and I, I, this whole podcast hasn't made me emotional yet, but when I think about them, I do get emotional because they are wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. people that like changed, changed our lives. So um, they, they are the reasons, and I'm I'm speaking to both couples, not yes. just Sam and Tyson, but all uh, four, yeah, all four wonderful people have uh, made us a family, yeah, and we can't thank them enough. And you know, when when we were approached to be on this podcast, it was semi self serving because Carolyn, we joked about the uh, you know, the, how much time do you have type of thing, the, the elevator pitch of the story. And I, yeah. I almost feel like, you know, A, I, I wanted to have some sort of documented, even though it's a bit circuitous, but like a, a bit of a documented kind of trajectory of where, of, of how our family came to be that mm-hmm. I could refer people to. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That's A. And then B being that, you know, hopefully this can be, uh, a safe space for somebody that's going through their own fertility yeah. struggles. Um, yes. Uh, that, you know, they can learn something from our story and share yeah. that. But more importantly, uh, you know, to publicly finally, you know, put Sam Tyson, Kaylee and Eric in, in the forefront and, mm-hmm. you know, put it out there into the universe that we're beyond grateful yeah. for, Oh. their their role in uh, we can't thank them enough yeah. yeah 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 so yeah. essentially what it was so you mentioned sam had an ovarian cancer history yeah. so when sam and tyson were starting their family they needed an egg donor so in comes kaylee did they know each other beforehand I don't think they really knew each other. They had like a connection through Sam's sister. I don't know the story completely and it would definitely be theirs to share, but they just kind of connected. And again, it's about conversation and talking, right? And Totally. Yeah. 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 So I I guess um, Kaylee donated her egg and so her her eggs and and then Sam and Tyson went on to have like they got nine nine embryos, but then they had their own two kids, so they had seven left over. Is that that's, kind of what had happened correct. when they reached out to you? Yeah, they yeah, were that's right. Their family was complete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, like like I said, we are friends with them now. So I texted them um just the other day, and I was like, okay, Sam, we need your timeline. Like, when did you guys go through this stuff? Like, what was everything? And and she kind of wrote it up for me. So and, and Sam is also a teacher, and Sam is is also military as well. So she's very oh. Like, She's got her ducks in a row. <laughs> that's right. She that's knows. Right. Yeah. So it was awesome. So she like typed this up for us. But yeah. it's funny because if we're talking about like parallel 
situations happening. It was in 2017 that they were going through all this. And if you can kind of go back in our timeline, that's when we started at the clinic too. So I've joked like, oh, maybe we are sitting in the waiting room together and little did we know, you know? Um, So essentially, yeah, Kaylee uh, and Sam, they met in 2017 in March, um, but they didn't do the egg retrieval until later that year. So it was later in 2017. Um, And so Kaylee went through all the medication and all the scanning and everything that's involved in producing, you know, multiple eggs at once. Mm -hmm. Um, They did the egg retrieval, they fertilized them. And like Mel said, they got nine embryos. um, And then they transferred one in um, 2018. And that's their son. It's just an adorable okay. little guy and they uh, transferred the other in, in 2019 and that's their daughter. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, Kayla's contribution to this whole thing cannot be emphasized enough because her donating of her eggs to Sam, it wasn't trivial. Like that was in the middle of their own um, family. Having their, their own family. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, they'd had their one child uh, mm-hmm. already. And then obviously as, as these things go, not very smoothly, I, I don't think their timeline necessarily. Yeah. Um, Fertility treatments take a long time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So it, it took a little bit of a longer process in order for the egg retrieval to take place. And basically like, Kaylee was going through the same hyperstimulation protocol that Janelle was mm-hmm. injecting herself yeah. with medications in order to um, produce as many eggs as possible. Yeah. All with the hopes of retrieving as many as, as possible, many as possible. Yeah. Uh, and that possibly delayed you know some of their own own uh, like well it's safe to say is that they did get pregnant shortly after and um i do believe sam and kaylee were pregnant at the same time <laughs> so it's pretty wild oh, <laughs> yeah right. okay so sam's kid sam and tyson's kids yes are half biological siblings with Kaylee and Eric's kids? That's That's correct. correct. They uh, indicate themselves as or refer to themselves as bio half siblings. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we use the word biological. Exactly. Yeah. So they're biological half siblings. And then, um, I mean, fast forward to our little guy, he is biological half siblings with Kaylee and Eric's kids as well. Yeah. And biological full siblings with Sam and Tyson's. That's correct. Oh yeah. my God. Okay. Yeah. Now I just got full body chills. I did. <laughs> I got full body chills listening to that. And what a bond. Like, and, and I read um, Sam's Facebook oh, post yeah. about this and, um, and it, it's beautiful the way that she writes it, but you're, you're raising, like, you're going to be connected. You're yeah. friends. You said mm-hmm. you've grown to be great friends, um, mm-hmm. but in turn, and, and your kids will all know where they came from and, and know the, the status and this biological, biological um, sibling, but you're not raising them as siblings, correct. right? Like you're all, yeah. yeah so maybe yeah. talk a bit about that. Yeah, no, that's correct. Um, and honestly, we're lucky to have kind of a roadmap for this because of Sam and Tyson's and Kaylee's and Eric's experience. Um, they've navigated this already, but yeah, like, we, I remember early in this experience, like we asked, you know, Sam and Tyson, like, what, well, what will Jameson call you? An like, are you or an aunt and uncle? Like, who are you? And then yeah. Sam matter said, factly, um, Sam and Tyson. Sam and <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. Very matter, matter of fact. Yeah. But they've kind of navigated this and, and, and what well, we all have together, but, um, early in pregnancy. So, and, and maybe I kind of skipping ahead here, but, um, I mean, the cat's out of the bag. We got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, early in pregnancy, Mel actually bought um, some children's books that address um, 
embryo donation. And those are something we're going to have around and read to Jameson. And it's something that we want to be a very proud part of his story. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. All the kids are very young right now. Like they're, they're all young. So mm-hmm. too young to really understand, but it's something that we're all very open about and, and we'll address when the maturity kind of is right. Yeah. Um, and we want to be connected. Maybe and they can listen to this podcast. Right. Yeah, they can listen one day. That would be incredible. Yeah. And just to put uh, Sam and Tyson's story into perspective, so they were blessed enough to have nine embryos. Any one of our rounds only produced three or two. Um, so right. with yeah. Sam and Tyson um, building their family with the two children, they actually had thought about this process for a while. Um, I think they were like kind of waiting, waiting to meet people that they felt comfortable like donating to like, um, I mean, we haven't talked about that a lot with them, but, um, I I do remember Sam saying like once their son was born, their firstborn, she knew that these embryos had to go to someone. Yes. Because the options are essentially embryo donation Mm -hmm. or donating them to science. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, or discarding, or, yeah. Or, yeah, right. And, yeah. and unfortunately, sometimes that that is that is one of the options as well, which yeah. is uh, discarding but, of the embryos. Yeah, and I think after after their son came into the world, I remember Sam saying that these need to go to to someone, and we are just lucky enough to be that someone. I wanted to go back to something, Mel, that you said earlier when you're when you were describing that day at work where you had, quote, a moment of weakness and shared with your colleague. Do you still see that as a moment of weakness? Would you still describe it that way? Because look at all the good that has come out of you you opening up and sharing about this. Yeah. um, I I mean, I say that semi-facetiously, the the moment of weakness, but, um, you know, there's, there's professional kind of um, standards that we're mm-hmm. expected to uphold within our role. Okay. Uh, but you know, there's, there's possible, there's potential for some, you know, side chat and things like that. And that happened to be one of those, mm-hmm. those moments. Um, but no, I'm very grateful that, um, I had this, this chat with, uh, with Sam's yes. very good friends, uh, one of Sam's best friends, mm-hmm. uh, who happens to now be a very good friend of ours as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she's more mm-hmm. than a colleague and, and, you know, she has, a very much a, a role to play in this as well. So yeah. can't thank her enough as well. Well, yeah. if I'm tracking, you've gained a son and at mm-hmm. least five friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and so, um, just the, the weird timing of everything too. There was something else that jumped out in your notes about, um, that like you can imagine there's no, there's no money that's made off of this. And we interviewed somebody, um, named Arlie and you can go back in the archives and I'll link them in the show notes too, but she was a surrogate. She, she went through, um, she was a surrogate mother for, um, for somebody twice, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she said the same thing. So that it's not that, when, when the transfer was made, the embryo donation was made to you from Sam and Kaylee, I guess there was paperwork, loads of paperwork that had to be done, but there wasn't like a money exchange, but that all happened right in the same weekend that you went to run the Chicago marathon, right, Mel? Yeah, that's right. So (laughs) yeah, uh, for to kind of go back to our timeline, um, you know, that high stakes blind date was in February of 2022. The rest of the year was essentially, 
um, sorting out the legalities. That's right. Yeah. There's a big legal component, um, especially with two other couples involved. Like they obviously have a a legal agreement between the four of them um, and, you know, genetic material coming from two different couples. Um, So there was quite a complex uh, kind of legal um, uh, procedure that we had to go through and uh, like fertility treatments, this stuff takes time. Um, and yeah. fertility law happens to be a very, uh, niche segment of, uh, the, the litigation. System. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of proceeded through that, um, throughout the year and it was finally in October of that year that, um, we kind of all met at the clinic and signed the final paperwork and did the final link counseling sessions and all kind of the, the, the checks and balances that we needed to do um, for the embryos to be transferred to us. Um, and that all happened like right before Mel ran Chicago. So, so yeah, that, that was like the, the final process in um, the, the legal process whereby we had to, you know, go through a, a one day uh, counseling session at the clinic uh, meet with the, their in-house counselor as couples and then as a group, um, which was funny because we were... <laughs> By then we were all friends. We were all friends. You know, <laughs> so we'd, we're joking and having a good time. <laughs> yeah, we'd already known each other eight months, whereas the stranger was really the, the, the counselor. So, <laughs> the lawyer was probably like, oh my gosh, right. <laughs> what's and, going on here? <laughs> and if you recall, Carolyn, as you were my coach at the time, you know this took place on October 6th. 2022 I think so yeah the actual signing the afternoon was like it's done yeah and uh Mm. the Chicago Marathon was the Sunday October 9th so three days before yeah and uh it was it was a very happy moment it was a very celebratory moment but I didn't even want to have a drink because (laughs) I was I was in marathon mode as well like I I was I I didn't I didn't want to you know, I, I wasn't having coffee. I wasn't having any alcohol. It was three days before the race. And I was just... Yeah. You, I yeah. think you cheers with a glass of water, which was fine. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Well, hopefully you celebrated after the marathon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, wow. This this is just such a powerful story. Um, fast forward, September 25th, 2023. Is that when Jameson was born? Yeah, that's right. Jameson was born September 25th, um, 2023. And like with anything, nothing is straightforward for us. So his birth was also not super straightforward because of my history with the spinal tumor. Um, Going into natural labor wasn't an option for me. And also um, having a spinal for a C-section wasn't an option. So I had to be under general anesthetic. So I was, um, I was out for his birth. um, And because it's then labeled as surgery mel couldn't be in the room so things were just a little different for us but um Mm -hmm. jameson was born everything went well he went straight to mel he did skin to skin they bonded immediately and then once i kind of came to and and was a little bit more coherent then i met our son Mm -hmm. too and and honestly we couldn't ask for anything better and one of his first visitors in hospital was actually sam and tyson they came the very next day they had actually just gotten home from a cruise um and they came straight from the airport. They picked up dinner and they came and they met, they met Jameson. So it's a pretty special yeah. moment. We have some pretty special pictures. Yeah. I bet. And then um, Kaylee said something funny. She said, I think this is the most loved human on the planet. And, <laughs> oh, I don't think she's wrong. And it's just, it's, it's shocking to think that, you know, in a, 
you know, to use the word parallel again, but in a parallel universe, Jameson wouldn't even have existed. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's mind boggling to me because he's mm-hmm. our world. He's uh, yeah. the biggest joy in our lives. And um, yeah. like, even, even in this process, you know, with the seven embryos that we were, uh, you know, lucky and blessed enough to acquire, he wasn't the first one of no, the seven. No. Um, like we, we lost mm-hmm. the first one initially and yeah. I, I think we, we touched first, upon this, like right when the paperwork was signed, we were ready to go. Like, oh, we were, we were so ready to go. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, unfortunately the first transfer again failed. Um, I know, but at this time it was, it was so different because we had this, this team of cheerleaders behind us, that That's being right. Sam and Tyson and Eric and Kaylee. And um, I just remember like when we learned that that one had, had not worked, um, it was right after Christmas. It was uh, on Boxing Day. And it, we were willing to start in November, but uh, oh yeah, I yeah. think the the you know the the cycle did not line up uh, <laughs> favorably. As we've said multiple times, fertility treatments yes. take forever, yeah. and bodies don't always cooperate. So, yeah. um, anyway, when we got the news that the the first transfer had failed, I just again I remember something Sam said, and she's she's a math teacher. She's all about stats, and she's like, one of them is going to work, and. We just, we need to Mm -hmm. keep going. And, Mm -hmm. and I just remember Mm -hmm. like we had done most of this on our own. And of course we had family and friends that always supported us and always were comforting to us, but just to have two other couples equally as invested with us, cheering us on and saying, we got this, like, Mm -hmm. this is going to work. Like I said, it shared the load amongst more shoulders and it was, yeah, Yeah. we were just recharged. And so we did another transfer in, in um, January and um, we transferred two at that time and our strong little Jameson stuck and yeah, fast forward to September when he was born. I will, I will tease him when he grows up that, uh, he, he potentially absorbed his, uh, his twin. <laughs> I tell him not to tell him that. <laughs> yeah. the, the sad part about it is that, you know, when we, we get our little Polaroid picture of, uh, the embryo transfer. We don't know which one Jameson is. <laughs> you could be one of either. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, um, I think you're kind of like, we touch on this theme a lot on our podcast is the power of community. And, and mm-hmm. specifically, we're usually talking about the running community, but I think you're talking um, about the power of the community in this sense too. Mm-hmm. Like you felt you didn't, you could share the load. You didn't feel like you were like the weight of the world was just on, on your shoulders or your yeah. immediate family's shoulders. And you could sort of spread that around and, and lean on them when you needed them and, um, you know, accept their cheers when they were on the sidelines cheering for you. I think that, yeah, yeah this, this um, is, is just such an amazing story. And I guess if there's anyone listening that is going through something like this, um, mm-hmm. what, what would you tell them? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I think our learning through all this, my learning through all this is um, the work that I've done with myself to feel comfortable to share this. It's very vulnerable um, to share Mm -hmm. any sort of fertility journey. Um, But the work I did with myself to open up and share and tell people what we're struggling with um, and Mel the same, without that, we wouldn't have our son. We wouldn't. Right. So um, I think, like I said, in time, when you feel ready, if you feel ready, sharing it, Mm -hmm. you just don't know what that can bring into your life. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm eternally grateful that Mel had that conversation at work. And 
and being a professional myself, I understand that getting into these things while at work is hard because you're letting your defenses down and um, you might any, any minute have to be on again. Right. So finding the opportunities with people that you trust in spaces that you feel comfortable to do. So I think take full advantage because there are incredible people in this world, more generous than I could ever um, hope for. Mm -hmm. And we are lucky enough to meet four incredibly generous people and that's why we have our son. So if you can take anything away, it's is open when and if you're ready and you never know what that can bring to you. For myself, I think that uh, running funny enough has, has played such a role in this. Like aside from yeah. bringing myself like the, the health um, gains that um, I'm very grateful for it's given me the opportunity to kind of find like that, the comfort in the solitude and and the ability to reflect on these difficult moments Mm -hmm. that we've had in life and to be, to put words to the things that you're really grateful for to kind of Mm -hmm. be able to have those conversations within your own head and, and to kind of, you know, um, come up with alternative reasons for why things happen or how you can best phrase um, things that are difficult and to at the same time still kind of embrace like the community aspect of Mm -hmm. running as well because running is such Mm -hmm. a a, an amazing sport in that sense that we're even in community settings we're running our own runs but like we benefit from the energy of of you know finding one common purpose and um you know, like sometimes you, you have to slog out those long three hour runs on your own, or you have to do the speed sessions by yourself. But like, honestly, some of the most meaningful ones are the ones where you're able to have these chats. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that mm. in order to give this story justice, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather give the elevator pitch and just run <laughs> because I feel like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to get too emotional as I'm running uh, myself. Right. So, like, and, and as I root myself uh, more in the in the community space in, in Winnipeg and in Manitoba, I think that's um, probably easier to just kind of refer people to this podcast. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Some sort of like anthology. here, listen to this if you want to know more. Um, but on that note, are you open to people reaching out to you if they feel inspired by your story and want to connect? Yes. I'm absolutely open. Um, I know myself, I don't have social media, so reaching out to me can definitely be done by email or, or text or anything like that. I'm happy to chat. I know I've, I've mentioned um, to Mel and I think to you when we were chatting the other day is that now that I've been more open with our story, it's amazing how much you connect with other people and that so many people are going through their own fertility journeys or even health journeys or cancer journeys or whatever it may be. Um, and Mm -hmm. I have lots of friends now where we have connected on this and, 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 uh, we can be a support to each other. So in short, yes, I am willing. (laughs) Go ahead. And in in not so short, I will say absolutely. (laughs) If anyone is interested in, uh, researching Janelle's particular condition, the tumor that she had mm-hmm. is called a mixopapillary ependymoma, mm-hmm. which is actually a hashtag on Instagram. <laughs> so yeah. um, hey. I, I do happen to follow that uh, every now and then. And um, that connects us uh, with others that uh, have sure. have been afflicted yeah. with this rare condition, yeah. which I believe is less than 1% of the population. Also, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll refer people to, um, you know, the, the tags embryo adoption in the U.S., whereas it's embryo donation in Canada, 
Um, just some statistics in terms of um, embryo adoption in the U.S. There's approximately a million unused uh, embryos that mm. are uh, a result of IVF uh, mm. following families um, completing, um, you know, their uh, their their families. Um, and then for myself, I'm uh, MJY on Instagram, which is my initials MJY spelled out um, phonetically E M J A Y W H Y. I'm uh, Melvin Yumang on uh, Facebook, and uh, happen to be um, Manitoba Marathon ambassador this year. So uh, that's yes. a shameless plug for myself to <laughs> <Right> <laughs> use on. me as a referral. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you you give back to the running community in numerous numerous ways as a pace bunny, as a ambassador. Um, I know you're always participating in the Ottawa race weekend as well. Like there's, you're just such a, a bright light in the Winnipeg running community, and we want to thank you for that, and thank you both for for coming on and sharing this super powerful. Story. You're very welcome. I think uh, it's it bears mentioning as well that we now live in Saint Agath, Manitoba, um, so. You know, in addition to all of this, and Jameson being uh, five months old, we decided to pick up and move to <laughs> Southern Manitoba to be closer Why to family. <laughs> yeah, as a th- as a three as a three week old. So yeah. uh, you know, oh, this, is my, uh, this is my this is my pitch to uh, to rural Manitoba as well to kind of uh, try yeah. to spark the the running community down here. Um, great people that run out here, but it's not the most, uh, you know, f- uh, fair weather routes around here. There's <laughs> typically a lot of highway, highway running. Uh, so if we can right. get together out here, that would be awesome as well. But yeah, thank you for, for having sure. us. Yeah.